It's Jem, and this is episode nine of the Life of Jem live video podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor, Hot Box Vintage. No style, since there's no one size fits all approach to fashion. Hotbox is priced for accessibility so that literally anyone can discover some vintage gems of their own. Plus, it's sustainable. Find us on Instagram and use code RAGHOUSE at checkout for 20% off your first order at hotboxvintage.com. And that's RAGHOUSE at checkout. Use that code for 20% off. So I'm back and you're listening to my Life of Gem live video podcast. This is live. This is real. Find me on my Life of Gym Facebook page. If you're here, you already know. And you can also watch on YouTube and on raghousemedia.com and on a place called Switch. Is it Switch? Twitch. Twitch. Rhymes with witch. Just so everyone knows, I am having a drink in honor of my friend Linda Hogan, who's our guest today. And my cup says, don't be a basic witch. As the kids would say, don't be basic. So... Um, also you can contact April Duran on Raghouse Media if you want a podcast. She is epic. She is not basic. This episode is called Finding Your Writing Tribe. And it's about finding your coven, your writing groups, your friends, your peeps, those writers that will help you through your writing journey. And I am here with a special guest who you're going to meet in a minute. Her name's Linda Hogan. She's a writer and a memoirist. For years, Linda and I were in a writing group called the Trace Libras with a woman named Frances. We're going to talk about that more later. But first, say hi, Linda. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we're using a new format similar to Zoom to bring our guests in. So it's going to be a little bit of a different format for my podcast today. I'm going to start by reading a very short poem, and then I'll introduce Linda, interview her, and we're going to talk, shoot the shit, drink, and talk writing tribes. And at the very end of this, Linda is going to read a piece, a four to five minute piece. We might take some questions and do a giveaway if we have time. So here's my poem to start us off. And the reason I picked this poem is that this is a poem that I wrote right when I started writing back in 2006. I wrote it in San Francisco, and it's called iPod. iPod. Walking through the subway, I feel invincible. Not at all like my normal self. My white headphones signify my ascent into a club of sorts. The epitome of coolness. I tap my feet on the escalator, humming. It feels good to be distant. Lost in the sound of bass and drum, I smile. No longer anxious, no need to meet other eyes. My audio sunglasses bathing me in blissful anonymity. Do others feel this peaceful? I know I know the immersion is an illusion, but I am drowning feeling nothing but the beats and the rhythms running in my head fast, slow. I am addicted. I switch from white stripes to Miss Dynamite to Amy Mann to my high school days with a little of the Pixies, erasure, then some cure. Joy Division. I feel like a teenager again, hanging out in the quad, smoking stale cigarettes I stole from my dad, wanting to be someone, anyone but me, blue, black hair, Stud earring in one nostril before that was overdone. 
Bright red thermals cover legs I will always be ashamed of. Only later will I see this as a costume, a masquerade, designed to hide the pure sadness of that time, to obscure the goals I had abandoned in hopelessness by age 16. I want to yell, girl, all is not lost. No. And though years will be lost, drinking, trying to dull the sharpness of it all, somehow, someway, I will emerge, defiant and proving them wrong. All who had given me up for dead, I high school dropout a statistic, but never humble. I knew I was powerful and equal to all of them, regardless. Here I am walking to the beats in my head, my feet pounding the moving sidewalk. And suddenly I can't suppress the urge to run. That's iPod. Let me introduce Linda. Thank you, Linda. Applause of so, Linda Smith Hogan, I am very honored to have you on my podcast today. She was part of my workshop, Tres Libras, before she moved up north. She's been a professional gift shop duster, a bra strap counter, a playground instructor, an army base secretary, a garment district house model, a barmaid, a go go dancer an English teacher, a health teacher, a technical writer, a sex educator, a college professor, as well as an amateur martini taster. I don't know about amateur. Linda has a <laughs> in public health from UCLA. She holds the title of professor emeritus at Mount San Antonio College after teaching health and human sexuality for over 20 years. Although she has published some poems and articles in her 20s, Linda regrets having put her writing on the back burner while she focused on her teaching career. Now returning to creative writing, she has published in the LA Times, the arts journal West Wind, and she recently won first place in a writing contest. She recently completed her coming-of-age memoir that is set in the turbulent, music-filled world of the late 1960s United States. A memoir that is set to be published by She Writes Press. Linda says, besides writing, my favorite activities include reading an amazing book that I immediately want to start over, shaking my ass in a funky R&B club. This is why we're friends. Laughing till I can't stop. (laughs) Kissing till I don't want to stop. Morning coffee. Evening bubble baths. Falling asleep by a campfire to the sounds of owls and coyotes, amongst other things. Welcome, Linda. Yay! Thanks, Juanita. (laughs) Wonderful poem. Wonderful poem. I felt like I should be snapping. I'm just not a very good snapper. I appreciate, you know, that's one of my only poems that really is more of a spoken word piece. And I think it's because I'm trying to capture that music musicality that is so part of me. And you're a music person too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just like. <laughs> so Linda and I go way back. We are mm-hmm. and were fast friends. I admire her writing, her editing, her teaching skills. She's a great person. So um, Linda, do you remember how we met? <laughs> Well, I knew you were going to ask that. So, I mean, I remember the how, but I wasn't clear on the when. So I looked it up on my computer and we actually met in the fall of 2014 when we were both in another writing group with our friend, Francis Barella. 
And for reasons that I might say a little bit more about in a minute, there were some things about that group that didn't totally work for us. And so um, we decided that as a threesome, we would have our own writing group. And we had our first meeting May 2015. Oh, my gosh, you're right. And we were a trio from the start. And I think the thing that just amazed me, the minute um, that me, you, and Francis kind of broke off from that bigger group, which was kind of too big to begin with, in my opinion, mm-hmm. was um, just our chemistry. And and I don't know whether that was a function of fate, kismet, or booze. What do you think it was? Well, I'm not a big believer in fate. Um, <laughs> but I think that, that one of the big reasons was that uh, we were all women with a past who were sort of edgy in our own mm-hmm. ways. And um, we had gone on to have, you know, fairly productive lives of achievement, but we wanted to go back and revisit those days. And so that to me was a big part of the chemistry that, that we all had that in common. Yes. And I think we all also had in common that we were all writing memoir, which is yeah. not always the case when you meet up with people that you're in the same genre and that we all had the, these... Um, kind of dysfunctional paths in a way. I don't know how to say it. That's a good word. Yeah. And so um, what do you think is the most important thing about finding people to write with? I'm sorry, say again? What do you find is the most important thing as far as finding people to write with? Well, there's. I think there's a couple of paths. And one of them is simply logistics. The logistics of the other group we were in were not working for me, which is why I kind of started looking for something different. Um, What they would do in that group was everybody would bring their piece that they had worked on and read it in the group. And many of them were quite long. And so we would get out of there really late at night. And that to me was really tiring. Um, and, you know, for me, it was kind of far to drive and, you know, it wasn't always on the day that worked for me. So logistics is really important. Otherwise, you're going to burn out and get tired. But, you know, um, I had forgotten that, how difficult it was um, in that first writing group we did as far as just sitting through hours and hours of people reading out loud. Yeah, yeah. And I what was successful about our writing group and what people can take from it is that uh, me, you, and Francis, we would meet, and it was social, but it was also work, and we did a lot of that beforehand, which kind of cut down on the amount of time that we'd have to be there. We would send our pieces to each other beforehand, and then we would read our edits to each other, like, hey, you know, this is what I thought, and that was an effective way and then do a free write at the end. I thought that yeah. was a way of, of running a writing group so that you're not taking four hours every, you know, once a month. Yeah. And, and I thought so too. And, and yeah. obviously there's nothing wrong with the other way. Part of finding your tribe is finding the group that does it the way that feels right to you. And the long way didn't feel right to us. We wanted to have a little social time at the beginning and then get right into the work and not so much the reading of the work. So Mm -hmm. we had all done our reading before we got there and marked up our copies and we're ready to get into, you know, here's what we found in your in your piece that we would that we have thoughts about. 
Yeah. And for those who don't know, I talked about how we would do a free write at the end. A free write is basically, you can buy books of prompts, you can look them up online, but one of us would pick a prompt. We would read it out loud and then we would write for three to five minutes, usually sometimes 10 minutes without editing, just writing, not taking a break, not scratching anything out, not editing anything. And then at the end, we would all read aloud what we had written. So on that, let's do a quick one minute free write. Here's the prompt and whoever is listening or watching, feel free to write your answer in the comments because this is going to be a short prompt. It's going to take about 30 seconds. Write a one-sentence memoir. One sentence that encapsulates who you are. And this is mine, and I kind of cheated because I wrote it beforehand. I'm Jem, punk rock, high school dropout turned rock star writer and deputy public defender. What's yours, Linda? Mine is, and I wrote it beforehand too, but I wrote it quickly and it's just one sentence. Uh, Aging hippie college professor remembers her college days of poetry, peyote, and protest. Oh, that is so good. I wish I would have like really worked on mine. That is beautiful. Read that again. (laughs) Aging hippie college professor remembers her own college days of Poetry, peyote, and protest. That's so interesting because, um, you know, what was interesting to me about your bio that you sent me was that you have this um, regret that you really did not focus on your writing sooner. And, you know, I've read your work, so I know in your 20s you were writing. Why do you think you put it on the back burner? And, you know, what would you do differently today if you were 20 years old? Or you could take a, a back to the future, you know, car back to the future, back to the past and change something. What would you do differently? Well, I would change a number of things. And one of them was that, um, you know, I was very shy when I was younger and I started mm-hmm. writing. I mean, I've been writing since I was six years old, but I didn't really get serious about it until college. And I got some really good feedback from professors, but I didn't know enough to say, Hey, you know, can you be my mentor? Can you help guide me through this really complicated process? And then I started on my own after college and I had some publications, a few articles and a few poems, and it was very exciting, very heady stuff at that age. Uh, and I moved from Philadelphia to Los Angeles because I thought that's a, that's a real writing city. You know, there's a lot going on there and there certainly was, but I didn't always know how to pursue it. And then I kind of got caught up in my own issues and problems of being in my twenties and, you know, just put it on the back burner. And then I found that I was behind all of my peers in terms of having any kind of a, you know, career that was going to go anywhere. So I started working on that and writing really just took a backseat. It was just a little bit for fun, but I didn't think about doing anything with it. Uh, And as I look back on that now, I think that was a big mistake. And, And the biggest part of the mistake is that here I am. I mean, I came back to creative writing at about the age of, I don't know, between 50 and 60. And yeah, I can write some stuff and I've gotten good feedback and I've published a few things. But what I realized is that I missed all those years of practice and learning that 
uh, you know, I didn't have. And then I think even though I'm a pretty good writer today, I might be a great writer had I stuck with it and made use of all those things. No. And you know, Linda, I think that's true. You know, I have a similar um, history. I started writing in my 20s. I was on the college newspaper of where you used to work at Mount San Antonio. And I had a couple of great mentors, Gina Paola, who was head of the newspaper, who used to be a reporter for the Washington Post, and Holly Cannon, who was an English professor. But I put it aside too, and I went the law route. And the law school kind of um, killed the create the creative part of me. And it took mm-hmm. me to find that again. So I think that um, your story is very important for people to listen to and understand that there is only, we only have one life. You only go around the world one time. So oh, we think, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Juanita, there's three comments, uh, three people that wrote. Um, oh, what sentence do you want to hear it now? Or do you want to wait till Linda, do you want to hear those comments now? Um, April, my producer is going to read. Sure, why not? Why not? Okay, we can, we can take a little break for that. Yeah. Gina Diane, I just wrote mine from Twitter. Here it is. She had learned that happiness rested in the reconciliation and understanding that she was both a unique badass mama, mama jamma, mama jamma, and nothing special at all. Mm. Ooh, amazing, Gina. Wow. Cindy. Yeah, I can relate. Cindy Nissinger. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. I'm Cindy. I grew up in white suburbia between a tortilla and a white bread. Oh, 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 oh. wow. And uh, great job. Great job. See what you can write in just less than a minute. Francis T. Barella. Uh, Hold on. on. Francis was in the writing group. She's one of the trailers. She is OG Trey Libras with Linda and I. What is she? <laughs> Hi, Francis. Now, now hope for normal because she is extraordinary. Oh. And yep. she is extraordinary. And she is. Oh, she, yes, she's such a great poet and such a great memoirist. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back into the interview in a second, but I think that is what is the most important thing that you can find in your writing group is people whose writing you admire. And people that want, that make you want to write better. And whenever I would read mm-hmm. Linda's work, which is so clean and and just beautifully written with exposition, I would always want to write better. Whenever I would hear Frances's honesty mm-hmm. and her, you know, her just her intellect and her just how beautiful and raw and honest she would be, I wanted to say more. I wanted to share more. So for me, I think that why I found a good writing group in the Tres Libras is that. They both had different qualities that I wanted to um, be like. I wanted to be them. And, you know, kind of like people that we admire, they bring us to a higher level. So going back to um, the issue of putting your writing aside, Linda, what what would you tell someone in their 40s about writing right now? I'm sorry. Say that again, Juanita. I had a little trouble hearing what would you tell someone who's in their 40s oh. that's just starting to write? And what I would tell them is Frank McCourt wrote Andrew Ashes in his 40s. And it won. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's a cliche and it's trite, but it is never too late. Mm. And yeah, it would be great if you had been writing all along the way I wish that I had. Um, but we come to it when we come to it. And yeah. if you come to it later, like Francis is an example of someone who came to it later. 
I remember working with her as, uh, as, you know, professors in the same department and her field was the anthropology and she considered herself a scientist and never a writer. And she didn't even want to take a sabbatical leave because she knew she would have to write a report. And then lo and behold, she started creative writing. She started writing poetry. She started writing this memoir and she's great. And so it doesn't matter how late it is. Yeah, I'm she has. Uh, Francis has a chat book. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's never. And some publications and this yeah. memoir that she's working on, just like we we're working on ours. Speaking of working on our memoirs, tell us about your <laughs> memoir in progress. It's a coming of age story, a story of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? right sex, so drugs, and rock and roll. Who can resist that, right? Tell us well, uh, it's called Exploring Without a Map. And it it certainly has lots of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, But it's much more than that. It's about being a college student in a really interesting time in American history. And interesting just sounds like such a dull word compared to how I think of it. But it was the late 60s, early 70s, a time of great social unrest. Um, You know, and there I was a college student exploring those things that I've already mentioned Uh, just looking for a different way of doing things from the way my parents had done. Because to me, the way my parents had done didn't make the kind of life that I was hoping to have and hoping that, you know, the world could have. Uh, So, yeah, there was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There was um, love and loss. There was some of the greatest music ever written, in my opinion, I mean, it was just such an, an exciting time with white rock and roll and black soul and Latin salsa rhythms all blending together. Groups like Santana and War, um, protests and, you know, hippies and a whole new style of dress and a whole new way of believing about what life could be. Um, yeah, I love that. Everything. You know, as you know, I write about the 80s. You write about the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. I write about the 70s and 80s. We're a couple generations apart, but uh, or a couple decades apart. But what I would say is very similar in both of our work is that we try to capture um, the music of the time, the fashion of the time, and not the cliche fashion, right? It's not like this image of hippies with bell bottoms. And like you capture more than that. I've, I've read your work and you do a really good job of being off authentic and it, it's it's not cliche yeah. it's not trite it's not fake right thank you well yeah. I'm a, it, it was such a great experience to write it and I sort of made a choice too because when I came back to creative writing I wanted to publish some things that I had written before and I did do that but then I said you know the book of my heart for right now is this book and I'm going to set everything else aside and of course it helped that I retired during that time so I didn't have that 9 to 5 not that a college professor is ever 9 to 5 it's all over the map but I didn't have that pulling at me as much and I and I really felt like I'm going to focus all my energy on this book and I'm glad I did yeah, and I, you know, um, I did a, a talk with RCC students the other day, and the thing I told them is you can work on different projects to get over writer's block. But I also yeah. think it's really important to focus. And if your goal 
is to finish your book. You have to mm-hmm. put your mind to it. For me, the minute yeah. I said it out loud, wrote it, started an MFA program, and I everything started falling into place. And for you, retiring, focusing on that book, it's mm-hmm. going to happen, right? When my brother-in-law died recently, a couple years back, the thing it taught me is that you never know when you're going to go. And the biggest thing I died was not publishing my book. And I know yours is the same, right? Yeah. And, you know, especially now, I mean, it might sound a little ridiculous, but with COVID, you know, we have, what, 300,000 people dead and many of them older people. It, It really hit me with a new thinking about my mortality. And thinking, you know, uh, what if I only have a certain amount of time? I mean, we all always only have a certain amount of time. We don't know what that is. But I don't want to die and have this book go unpublished. So I took the steps necessary to make sure that it would get published. And that meant setting aside other kinds of writing that might have gotten, you know, smaller publications and, and lots of kudos and would feel good and everything, but not good in the way that finishing this book does. I agree. You know, we're all terminal, as my dad's uh, oncologist once told me. Um, And we all have a finite amount of time here. And you really do have to go for your dreams. And this podcast was one of my dreams. The book is one of my dreams. I know your book is one of your dreams and you're going to do it. So tell us um, when your book will come out, where people can find your work. And for people who are watching this live, we do have a ticker tape with my website and Linda's website on there. But why don't you tell us anyways when your book will come out, where people can find your work? Okay, well, the book is going to be published by She Writes Press and it's going to come out in spring 2022 which just sounds so far away to me, but I know there's, there are things that need to be done in the interim. You have to pick a cover, you have to decide what's going to go on the back of the cover, all that stuff. And, you know, there, there are stages to publishing. Um, so I just got to be patient. Uh, I don't have a large body of work for the reason that I said. I, I stopped writing for many years, and then when I did come back, I had a couple of publications, and then I started in on the book. But um, references to the things that I did publish uh, are all on my web- website, lindasmithhogan.com. And, and that's um, L-Y-N-D-A and Hogan with two Gs, H-O-G-G-A-N. And I, uh, I have a blog on there as well. And so I have uh, articles, just my thoughts about many of the subjects I'm interested in, sex, love, relationships, food, nature, politics, culture. Those are some of the categories on my website that you can read blog posts about, as well as little bits about the books that I'm working on. I I had started two other books prior to uh, Exploring Without a Map, but I set those aside because I really wanted to focus. So that website um, will tell you everything. And on that same (laughs) thing, we are um, trying to kind of, let people know where to find you. You're teaching a class at Mount Sac soon, right? At Kelterama. Is that what the organization is called? <coughs> Sorry, I just got a dry throat. Um, <laughs> we're live. Time. <laughs> um, Mount San Antonio College has had a free writer's workshop weekend for quite a few years now. 
A couple years ago, they expanded it and called it Culturama because it includes other arts as well. And uh, this is the first year that it's going to be all remote or virtual. And it's going to be on all the weekends of November. So if you Google Culturama, you'll find it. And you'll see that one of the workshops that I'm teaching uh, is called Writing About Sex. Oh, and it's supposed to be epic. And why don't you take a drink and let's cheers to your book and to your classroom. <laughs> Thank you. Come on, take a drink. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, Juanita. <laughs> Just getting to see you is such a um, respite from everything we've been dealing with with COVID. You know, for some people, they've been sleeping during COVID. Um, mm. Me, I've been working my ass off at work yeah. well, uh, with my pot. My husband, I mean, I'm always working. I'm either working on work for my job as a public defender or I'm working on school. I'm taking a class for my MFA or I'm working on podcasting and writing the scripts and trying to kind of craft the interviews for these and getting guests. I, I do all this myself with April's help. So this is a DIY <laughs> kind of organization right now. For me. April has a lot of um, support, but for when we do this blog thing, you know, I, I find my guests. So two things I wanted to say, if anyone wants to guest on my show, go ahead and message me on Facebook. But number two, Linda and I, along with Francis Barella, and we're all writers, we've been talking about doing this talk on sex, drug, and rock and roll and how they relate to memoir. So if anyone is interested in that subject and wants to have us on, let us know. So um, one of my final questions before you read your piece, Linda, is what mm -hmm. advice do you have for people, for writers, for burgeoning writers, or even experienced writers, and how to overcome barriers to writing? And by barriers, I mean finding the time, writer's block, finding the confidence, finding your voice, getting over imposter syndrome, which we are all well aware of. I had imposter syndrome for years. Um so what, what would you say about that? And in case anybody doesn't know what imposter syndrome is, it's, it's the feeling that you don't deserve to be where you are. And so for people who write, it's often a, a deep insecurity about their work. Who's going to want to read this shit? You know, why am I even doing this? Nobody cares. Um, but people in all walks of life can have that feeling of, I don't belong here. I don't belong in the inner circle. And I have to admit, I had it for a long time because, you know, I felt like I could be a writer, but I really had very little to show for it. And so what nerve to go around saying I'm a writer, I'm a writer. Well, I wasn't going around saying it. Um, but I guess my biggest piece of advice would be, and it, this ties in with what I talked about earlier, don't stop. If this is your dream, if this is in your heart in any way, Keep at it, even if it's one paragraph a week, even if it's, you know, one conference every two years, even if it's whatever, just keep at it. And remember that most people in the arts feel that way. They have the imposter syndrome, whether they're a visual artist, whether they're a musician, writer, whatever, you know, I'm not going to be good enough. And the truth is, what makes us good enough is to keep going and to keep practicing and to keep learning from the people who give us feedback and talk to us. And every time you get a little bit better, but don't give up, don't stop. 
That is great advice. I have to say that, um, you know, if you can't find a writing group in your area, I would urge people to go to AWP. Everyone says, oh, AWP, this or that. I would go to AWP, get a hotel. Sometimes I would go, I, I love craft seminars. So I would go to seminars and meetings all day long, come back to the hotel. And I would always try to stay at the hotel where AWP was at. And I would just sit in the bar and I would always meet someone, an editor, a writer. I would make a friend. I met one of my good friends, Michelle Gonzalez, who is up on Guerra from Spitboy. I met her at AWP. She was at one of my readings and came up to me and said, hey, punk rock girl. So I would say take a risk. Go to a conference like, like AWP. Join a workshop like Macondo or Vona or one of these other workshops. You know, and you're going to meet other writers. And the best thing about writing is the people you meet. That is my favorite part. Yeah. Linda, before we run out of time, I want to make sure we have time for calls or comments after. Um, okay. Will you read a piece for us and tell us really quick what it's going to be about? Okay, so this is one of my few published pieces. It was published in the Los Angeles Times a few years ago, a column called L.A. Affairs. And um, they changed the title, and I forget what they changed it to, and they and they took out two of my favorite lines. So I'm going to just read the original version of the story. It's called, Oh, Dude. Ever fantasize about going to a dude ranch? Me neither. So how did I come to find myself standing in line, waiting to have my lunch ladled out onto my tin, home-on-the-range-style plate? I'll get to that in a minute. But for now, just put yourself in that line with me. What would have been on your mind? Frankly, what was on mine was the rumor of chili. It's one of my favorite foods, nutritious and delicious. Oh, I hope it has beans. And to hell with that restrictive purity standard of the International Chili Society. Beef or turkey, ground or chunked, ratio of chili powder to cumin, Bite-sized pieces of vegetables are just flecks of color, and what will they serve with it? They, in this case, were represented by the young Mexican-American man serving the chili and sides. And these were my thoughts as I ambled behind the others and felt the slight nudge of the plate belonging to the woman behind me. Distracted by the imminence of food, I nonetheless was able to make a bit of small talk with her. Did you ride this morning, she asked. No. Oh. We shuffled a little bit closer to the real object of our interest. And then I was standing in front of him with my plate held slightly forward. I'm sure my lips were parted in a hopeful smile as my eyes met his in anticipation. His were a deep brown. They caught and captured mine. I waited for you this morning, he murmured. The woman behind me muffled a gasp. This morning, he waited for me? Was I supposed to meet up with this hunk of man boy? Where and why? I racked my brain to remember the night before. First, there was the wine reception on the patio. Pinot Grigio had flowed like horse urine. As the sun sank lower, I felt the liquid gold move languidly from the top of my mane down through my loins. Had he been the one who brought out that perfect guacamole? Did I say thank you or something else? Then there was the hayride out to the barbecue. The sky was lit with flames of sunset 
and I held the half-empty bottle between my haunches as the wagon slowly rocked us back and forth along a dirt road. Had he been our driver, hitting a rut as he turned back to give me a meaningful stare? Did I return a slight nod back to him? The barbecue took place in a grove out in the middle of a field under a canopy of cottonwoods. It was the night of the harvest moon. As we ate our tri-tip chicken and corn, the sky turned to midnight and the perfect orange globe moved higher through the trees. A slight breeze kicked up so that I had to put a blanket over my withers. Behind the huge iron grill were the dimly lit shadows of the cowboy cooks, the low rumble of their voices. Was he one of them back there handling the meat? Did I imagine it or did he slip me an extra ear of corn? And why did he say this morning, if we had a tryst, shouldn't it have been under cover of mysterious night? The trail would have been just visible enough. The leaves turned silver in the light of that glorious moon. When I thought I heard a woodpecker in the pine tree outside my door, was that actually him tap, tap, tapping discreetly at my stall? Maybe his work continued long into the night. And as the sky grew light, he had climbed the hill to the broken down barn instead of going back to his bunk. There by the old pickup truck was where he thought I would be waiting for him, pawing the ground, whinnying softly. We'd unlatch the barn door, slip out of our tack, and ride to a lather on that sweet-smelling hay. Hey! The woman behind me cleared her throat, nudged her plate a little more deeply into my flank. I turned one eye on her. I couldn't just trot on without knowing. Quietly, I asked him, where did you wait for me? A screen door banged. He startled. In a loud voice, he said, why, at breakfast, ma'am, I set a place for you and your sister. I asked the cook to hold the food, but you guys didn't come. Oh, yes, you're right. These ranch hours are a little early for us. <laughs> I hoped I wasn't turning Roan red as I continued to hold my plate out. He spooned me some chili, forked me some greens, and knifed me some cornbread. As I thanked him, I saw that his eyes were already looking to his next customer. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> How I came to be there was that my sister was learning to ride and asked me to keep her company. I saw it as a getaway and was not particularly looking for a dude. Even if I were, he wouldn't be a ranch hand half my age. Now, if Jeff Bridges had turned up, that might have been a different story. But isn't fantasy marvelous? How we can imagine that we're so on the same page with somebody else, only to find out we're not even in the same book. <laughs> By the way, the chili had beans and was quite tasty. And even though I don't ride, horses that is, I enjoyed my weekend at the ranch for many reasons, one of which was Viva la dude. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You, know, you masked you masterly. Um, you're a master at bringing in double entendres. Um, sounding filthy dirty, but it's still dirty. Um you know, didn't come trot on the, the, in the horse. <laughs> I really love that story. And I, you know, it, it reads even better when you read it out loud. Well, oh, thank, thank you. you. 
What a great read. Find Linda on her website at lindasmithhogan.com. Buy her book when it comes out. And now we're going to see if there's any more comments. April, my producer, is going to help us out with that. Let's see. Uh, Anna? Do you know who Anna is? No. Anna Ellis. Oh, I was oh, a Ina. Oh, yeah. Ina? Ina says, I was a guest at Linda and Juanita's writing group a couple of times, and I want to say thanks to the ladies for making me feel welcome, and I feel like I could belong. I'm thinking about going back to writing. Oh, my gosh. We haven't heard from her forever. Well, I talked to her, you know, but uh, Ina, she's a wonderful writer. She really is. Don't just think about it. Just start writing, girl. Cindy also said, I can't wait to read Linda's memoir and blog post. I started writing at 50. I was a clerical worker at Kaiser Hospital. I love learning through workshops, writing groups, and books. Now at 62, I don't want to go to college. Oh, I want to go to college to get a degree. Too expensive, although it's my one regret. I have a lot of life content. Memoir is where I'm headed. Wow. And for that, I would say... You know, Cindy, do one conference a year, whether it's a writing workshop mm-hmm. where you travel for, make that, mm-hmm. make your own little mini college degree. I did that for the last decade until I applied to my MFA, is that I would go to Vona every, every summer for four years. And then, and Vona is a workshop for writers of color. And then after that, I applied to Macando and I went there for two summers to San Antonio. And just getting out of your comfort zone and being in another place for a week or two and focusing only on your writing is magical. Magical things happen. I wrote much of my memoir pieces in these workshops. Any other comments? And Juanita, you know, so many things now are online because of COVID-19. Yeah. So if you can't afford to go to big fancy things or, you know, the airfare or whatever, you don't want to travel. I mean, the Mount Sac Culturama workshop is free. Yes. So anything you can do. I agree. And also go to Inlandia. The Inlandia Institute has a number of workshops at a reduced cost or free. And all of them are virtual right now for the near future. So check out Culturama. Check out Inlandia. And uh, any if anyone wants to call in, we got about five more minutes. The number is 909-534-5684. I want to thank Linda for coming on. It's been a joy. And was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? Were you nervous? Oh, no. And you know what, Juanita? I knew it wasn't going to be bad because we're friends and I know you and I've seen the podcast. But this was my first one. And, and it's not even mine. I'm just a guest. But this was my first one. And so I I issued a little bit of a challenge to my Facebook friends to think of this as watching somebody have sex for the first time and then give them a critique. You know, so I'm open to critique. Tell me, you know, did I fidget too much? Did I, you know, whatever. Uh, Think of it like, you know, telling someone, hey, those those panties, girlfriend, they don't do you any favors. Well, I have to say what I learned from this podcast is that wine makes me sweaty. Um, (laughs) I I welcome your critique um, as well. So um, just so everyone knows, the Life of Jam video podcast will be back in two weeks on November 4th. My guest will be Gina Ray Duran, who is actually my producer's cousin. 
but that's not even how I know her, which is weird. And we're going to be talking wellness. We're going to be talking about yoga. She's going to show us some cool yoga moves for real women who have curves. We're going to be talking about wellness and writing as well. She's also a poet. So that's going to be an episode on self-care, and that's going to be on November 4th at 7 p.m., and we're also going to be doing a giveaway. And we'll do our giveaway on that show because I think we're running out of time. So, uh, Linda, say bye to everyone. We're going to take you out. How about we dance a little? Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Juanita. And cheers. I've had one of my little martinis here while you've had your wine. Salud. I love you. Thank you for coming on. Love you. Okay. Dancing. Okay.